0: The following has been brought to you by SJP World
1: Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here.
0: Sting. Okay, it's, it's Sting. This
1: is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. Oh.
0: I'm gonna put some butts in the seat. <laughs> Self high five. We've been hanging and banging, brother. YOU'RE NEXT! Watch real monsters go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, or should I say Nightmare Nights, with a show that we're about to look at this week. Oh dear me, I have been dreading this coming, I've been dreading this coming, but on the other side of the coin, I'm quite looking forward to my, my partner in crimes opinions on this show. My name is Sai. I am one of your hosts for this WCW Nitro era look back, starting at the first Nitro and trekking through every episode of Nitro, Thunder, every Clash of the Champions, every pay-per-view, etc, etc, until this crazy, weird, wonderful place of WCW goes belly up in 2001. Joining me for this journey and seeing some of these events for the very first time is the always entertaining, always excellent, always fantastic to talk to, the Scottish juggalo himself. Danny, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm really well, thank you, sir Really excited about today. Uh, how are you today?
0: I- I'm amazed you're excited about talking about this today, to be fair. <laughs> I'm doing okay, bud. I'm doing okay. You know, just an ordinary sort of Friday for me, really into work back home sit on the sofa and think oh you know i didn't really get much done today still doze off because i'm an old man you know that sort of scenario do you know what i mean
1: <laughs> oh yeah of course yeah i'm getting there i'm getting there
0: <laughs> how about you bud you had a good day
1: yeah really well really good just did, done some uh, football and things like that and uh then to come home to uh watch this and uh everything changed <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I, I can only apologize it, it trust me it gets better It does get better. We've got to suffer through the the, the turd to get, uh, you know, the the reward at the end, I suppose. Yes, today we are looking at, I think it's our second pay-per-view, isn't it, Danny? Halloween Havoc?
1: Yep, it is. Uh, first we did uh, about a month ago, wasn't it?
0: That's right, 4 brawl. yeah, that's right. So, yeah, we come to our second pay-per-view in the WCW Watchback. We're looking at Halloween Havoc 1995, which came from Detroit. Uh, It got around 13,000 people were in attendance, listed as a sellout. But it's a little bit cheeky, a little bit naughty, a little bit WWF-esque, I suppose, because only around 7,000 actually paid. So, yes, it was full, but it wasn't really a sellout, Sellout, if you know what I mean. The pay-per-view got... One hundred and twenty thousand buys, which doesn't sound too shabby now when you look at some of the numbers AEW are doing and and so on. However, in comparison to the nineties, how do we have at Ninety four, so the previous year got two hundred and twenty ish thousand buys, so roughly a hundred thousand more than the ninety five edition we're looking at today, and ninety six also. So the following year got close to 250,000 boys. So this is way, way down on the Halloween Havoc from the previous and the next year. Danny, first of all, Halloween Havoc, have you seen many Havoc events throughout the years? Um, Other than the NXT
1: ones, I don't think I've watched a full Halloween Havoc uh, ever. No. Uh,
0: Okay. I mean, so I really, really enjoy with Halloween Havoc events from WCW is the, the whole stage sets they do. I mean this this show here we have numerous gravestones and you know a lot of the dry ice the mist and so on but in later years we get to see big inflatable pumpkins and all sorts of i mean ww did do did do that quite well yeah it's just a shame yeah yeah it's just a shame that some of the uh in-ring content here wasn't done quite as well i guess oh no but um
1: (laughs) Just going back to that, I do remember hearing on Eric Bischoff's show um, that he considered Halloween Havoc to be the WrestleMania of WWE, and um, a lot of people consider Starcade, but he personally considers this event to be um, their like biggest pay per view.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting actually because Starcade has obviously it's got the history. I think the first Starcade was '83, so that's that's even that even predates WrestleMania. So the, fir- the first Starcade, Starcade was running for in theory longer than WrestleMania was before, before they went tits so, up. Now, I suppose from a history standpoint and a branding standpoint, because it's been around longer, it seems like it's more important. But also when you look at the way the storylines were built and structured, especially in later years, Starcade tended to be a big stop, but still a stop on the road to another pay-per-view. So when we get to Sting and Hogan, and when we get to uh, later StarCades, we'll see that. I mean, I mean Piper and Hogan as well in future years. They they sort of have a rematch again in a couple of months at another pay per view that almost feels like that's the blow off of the feud rather than the Starcade match itself. And Bischoff also lit sites the uh, pay per views in December, which when Starcade traditionally was, especially in this era pay-per-views in december not doing so well so i kind of understand where he's coming from really
1: yeah definitely and uh, he would get a lot of revenue for um halloween havoc as well just due to the uh, month
0: he was there which is october Hmm. yeah i suppose it makes sense the summer's summer's been and gone so uh, people aren't out and about and you know they're in their house it's cold and so on but there's no christmas and new year like starcade would have to fight with i suppose October, traditionally, you don't have a WWF event running until recent years when they're doing 4 million shows a year or whatever. Back in the day when you had like the big four and then the big five when King of the Ring was added, it kind of sandwiched between SummerSlam and Survivor Series. So it was kind of able to be there and not compete with competition from the WWF, I guess, mate. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Ah, Okay, let's get into the show then. We have a video package promoting the matches coming up on the show. When I say matches, I mean very much so. Hogan and the Giant, and then Hogan and the Giant in Monster Trucks. That's what this show is built around. So, so heavily pushed as the only thing that people should really care about. To the point where, during the show, you'll probably hear Danny and I mention matches that come up that we didn't even know were going to happen because we haven't been told on nitro or anything like that so it's, it's very obvious especially if you listen back to previous episodes of nitro nights with danny and i it's very obvious that wcw was building this whole pay-per-view around silly monster truck nonsense and then hogan and the giant isn't it danny
1: yeah definitely their entire promotional budget went into that well those two matches and uh, really nothing else
0: Nah, you're right you're right uh, we're, we're informed early on by our commentary team, which is Bobby the Brain Heenan, as we're used to seeing on Nitro. But Tony Schiavone is actually alongside the Brain this time, which is fantastic to see. We're informed quite early on that Ric Flair has been attacked and they're unsure if he's going to be able to compete in his tag match in the event later alongside Sting against the team of Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. So, oh, a bit, bit of peril added straight away, Danny.
1: Yeah, definitely a uh, something to hook um, people who already bought this, I guess, um, into uh, watching it for the rest of the night. So it was uh, a bit of a
0: who done it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that watch it for the rest of the night. Have you ever done that? Have you ever paid for a pay per view? I see nowadays in the in the era of the WWE network, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Have you ever paid for a pay per view and literally got halfway through or towards the end and just thought this is so shite, I'm going to bed.
1: Yes, uh, many, many, but one that was big was uh, the Great American Bash 2006. Um, after they had the Punjabi prison, I just turned it off. I was like, "No, <laughs> how about
0: you sir?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had a few I've had a few, sort of going back more to the time when you would pay for it, like a property like via your cable company and so on, rather than in the network era, I guess. the ne- I mean, the network era, like I said, it's not as, it's not as important. You can just put it on the next day when we used to pay for pay-per-views via like virgin media or sky or whoever my parents had at the time you did get limited replays but they'd be at set times so you'd have to try and make sure you could catch the replay if you wanted to but there was a few events i turned on i mean there was one survivor series one year that was full of multi-man matches which is fine that's a series theme as it was once upon a time it may be 93 potentially potentially even 94 i'm not sure but it was just so bad and i was 13 14 I was really tired, and I just weren't enjoying myself. And I was like, "I'm just gonna go to bed." I think, but I didn't tell my mum and dad because they paid for it, and I I knew that they'd never find out who won anything because they weren't massively interested. I just told them, "Oh, it's a great show. Thanks for that." Just in the hope they get me the rumble in a couple of months' time. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there we go. We then get another video package, which is for Darren Dallas Page and Johnny B. Bad explaining about how this match has come around with regards to. DDP costing Johnny B. Bad his United States title match against Sting uh, in the previous episode and so on. And then we get the entrances of Diamond Dallas Page and Johnny B. Bad, which we'll come to in a moment. But when the bell rings for the opener, this is the opening contest. the, The show's already clocked in at pushing nine minutes. We've already had nine minutes of fluff and gumph and talking before a wrestling match has even occurred. Now, bear in mind, this is a pay- wrestling pay-per-view. This is an event where people have paid to come and see wrestling. They have paid to watch wrestling at home. Nearly nine minutes before the first bell rings, Danny. I mean, did you pick up on that? Did it feel long when you were watching it? How, did, how the, the whole intro of the show, so to speak, up to that stage, what are your thoughts?
1: That um, definitely picked up um, with me because I, I kept thinking... Why didn't they save this for the pre-show? Because this did have a um, pre-game show. They mentioned it later on in the the night. So I kept thinking, they already got the people hooked in. Why are we getting all this fluff fluff, as you said it? So it's a bit like, oh, come on, just get on with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, WCW always did things a little bit different, I guess. And we're seeing it in the Nitros as well with regards to the show starts and then we go to the commentators and they have, quite a discussion about what's coming up on the show. They run through the event and so on. So it does always take a little bit longer to get to the the opening match, whether that's a TV show or a pay-per-view. However, this seems quite extreme. This seems quite a long time before the wrestling actually does begin. I just think about those poor people who have paid tickets because they're not hearing Shivani and Heenan. They're seeing the video packages on the screen, but at the same time, they're not hearing the discussions in between so they they've the, the shows come on air, the fireworks go off, everyone's really hot hype, really hyped up and excited. And then they've got to sit down for the best part of like nine minutes whilst they wait for the first match. It just seems really odd from a from a live show standpoint.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. So then we come to the entrances of DDP and Johnny B. Bad. DDP is uh, accompanied as always by Kimberly and max muscle which is his little entourage there but we get a bit of a swerve from old johnny b bard don't we danny do you want to talk us through that one my friend
1: yeah this was uh it was something that i wasn't uh expecting because um that to go through this match quickly was like there was a lot of punching and kicking it was that type of match for me um yeah max muscle um To me, Max Muscle, I'm not sure why he didn't become a bigger star because he looked really impressive. I would go as far as to say he looked more impressive than DDP here. Uh, What did you think (laughs) about Max Muscle?
0: (laughs) Yeah, he had a look, didn't he? He had a look. But I suppose looks looks only carry you so far, I guess. There's plenty of stories, isn't there, about guys who look the part, who they're missing something else, whether they can't get it in the ring or whether they can they can wrestle and look like the big powerhouse that you hope they would then you put a microphone in front of them and they just go to pieces max muscle he was kind of fell into that bracket i guess i mean we get a clip in the video package before this match looking at the the interview with Johnny B. Bad, Paige, Max Muscle and so on about Johnny B. Bad missing the US title match and Max Muscle's actually got a quite an important couple of lines in that interaction and Johnny B. Bad is as charismatic and as colourful as you can imagine Paige is, everyone knows how Paige is, over the top, ridiculous charisma and Max Muscle just sucks any life out of that room the moment he starts talking so may, maybe that was his problem Danny?
1: I think you're right yeah he definitely didn't have it when it came to talking um <laughs> but yeah, um i was actually i enjoyed this match um the only thing i didn't like about it was there was too many armbars um what did you think of this match overall sir
0: yeah I, I agree with you i've got a note here saying that there's lots of rest holds um a really really long chin lock spot where eventually when it gets broken they go back to it again and my heart sank a little bit when they went back to the chin lock again uh we get like you said danny a lot of Punchy, kicky wrestling, as I describe it, very simplistic, brawling style stuff. But then Johnny B. Bad comes back with a flying head scissors um, and so on. But then we see the diamond doll, Kimberly, holding up her her scorecards and giving Johnny B. Bad a 10 out of 10 for some of the moves he's doing. And we've seen little moments with her where she's not happy about how Paige is behaving in his way of cheating to retain the championship and so on. We get a bad day from Johnny B. Badd for a two count. Then Max Muscle hits DDP by accident with a clothesline and then takes one of the worst bumps I've ever seen off a Johnny B. Badd punch. I couldn't believe it. So I, I just could not believe it. I mean, we're talking about why he didn't do more in the wrestling business. I think that little five-second snippet right there explains a great deal. But <laughs> after that after that punch, Johnny B. Badd covers diamond dollars page and and collects the television championship so max muscle's clothesline must be lethal i guess because he gets hit with one clothesline from max muscle and ddp is eight for the count
1: yep it was uh definitely something um i don't think uh we d- we see much more from max muscle i'm not sure but i'm hoping we do um but i know what you mean he's he isn't that great and he definitely didn't show anything here but i actually did, just as a look i actually really
0: enjoy him Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, this match for me, it it was a decent enough opener. You get a title change straight off the bat, the the crowd are into it. I mean, purely because Johnny B. Bad is just so charismatic and he can do, he's he's not a small fella and he can do certain moves that you imagine cruiserweights to be doing, like a lot of over-the-top rope stuff to the outside and so on. This match probably just felt a bit long for me, which is ironic when you hear my thoughts when we come to the end of the podcast and I talk about the show in general. You'll understand a little bit more about what I mean, but this match just felt a bit long for me. There just seemed to be a lot of that chin lock that they could have cut out, potentially.
1: Definitely. Um, and it went nearly 21 minutes, but uh, at the end, the crowd did pop quite mm. huge.
0: Yeah, I mean, Johnny B. Bad was, was over, wasn't he? People loved him. So, yes, there we go. What, uh, well, in comparison, I guess, people love Johnny B. Bad. What they didn't love is who we see next. I know he's one of your personal favourites, though, Danny. Do you want to talk us through the next very, very short wrestling contest we have?
1: Yep. Um, that favor of mine is the macho man.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean the other fella.
1: <laughs> oh yes. We get the Zodiac of all people replacing <laughs> Kamala, which mm-hmm. um, the first thing I thought of was did Kamala no show? Do you have any information
0: on this side? He basically parted ways with the company and you you can read different reports and so on but it's like everything isn't it 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 always comes down to jim ross says it the best i think it always comes down to one of two things cash or creative and on this occasion it came down to more the cash side of things he wasn't a full-time contracted employee at this stage he was in for a certain number of dates he was asking for a full-time contract WWE were sure about paying him the wage he wanted for a full-time term over x amount of years so they just kind of parted ways which left them a little bit high and dry with regards to the pay-per-view so they called on old reliable the man of a million gimmicks the zodiac oh the zodiac
1: what else can you say <laughs> It just but, makes you um, shudder,
0: doesn't it? It's like, ooh.
1: <laughs> it, it does, it does. Um, I'm glad uh, it was so short lived, so he could get on to his 900 other gimmicks. But um yeah, this match it was more of an angle than a match. Uh, I thought it was uh, the biggest thing that stood out to me was when the fan ran in. I couldn't oh, believe
0: yeah. it. Yeah, that was what insane, wasn't it? You look like you could be like a oh, megadeth or something, couldn't he? Yeah, had this mad, mad mop along long hair. You know, the tight jeans runs in and savage and uh zodiac just kind of carry on the match a little bit distracted but fall on the outside and kind of carry on the ref himself he don't give a shit does he? he tackles this guy wrestles him into the deck then the security come in now, if that was a WWF event wwe event the camera would be off it straight away they would not tolerate this kind of nonsense but wsw were like oh this is it probably more interested in the zodiac to be fair so they kept filming didn't they
1: yeah, they did, and um, uh, there's a video, there's a compilation video on YouTube of um, uh, that referee Randy Anderson taking down fans because this happened a lot in W. But um, I'll send you that, um, and it's uh, he's he, he's quite um, the feisty referee, isn't he?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, brilliant. If there's if there's a compilation of it, that'd be awesome. And when this episode comes out, uh, maybe Danny, if you can keep hold of the link and stick it on the uh, Nitro Knights Twitter handle as well, so everyone can have a little look at that. That'd be great. Absolutely. So, something else that we get as well, which tickled me a little bit. Obviously, we just spoke about Kamala, who was supposed to be in this match, who's not. The way it's explained away on screen is brilliant by Bobby Heenan. Heenan explains that Kamala is scared of Randy Savage. So apparently Kamala made the mistake of telling Kevin Sullivan, the taskmaster, that the leader of the Dungeon of the Doom, that he's scared of Savage. So Sullivan beat him up.
1: I could not believe that at all. <laughs> there's so, no believability factor in that
0: yeah exactly and that's why he's not there anymore so kevin sullivan the little hard-nosed dwarf batters the uh ugandan giant and he's no longer with the company
1: why didn't they film this side that
0: would have been more interesting what kamala and uh kevin sullivan
1: yeah, backstage, that would have been <laughs> obviously the fact that it didn't happen. But that if if they wanted to write him off, I'm sure they could have done an attack angle where he was like, seen lying on the floor or something
0: like that. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I don't know the ins and outs of how it all worked with his contract, though, whether, they, whether his dates were up and they, they were trying to negotiate to get him back and he was asking for too much or something along those lines, maybe. So it might have been a case of literally then just, OK, well, then we can't come to terms, so we're not using you anymore. So then, it would have been difficult to to film that sort of thing. But perhaps they could have just sent Kevin Sullivan around to his house and just filmed it for real. Sullivan could have just gone in, like you know, as a shoot, and they could have filmed it for real.
1: Well, he might be confused for a garden gnome.
0: <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> uh, the note I have for this match. I mean, we'll, we'll get. Very, you know, it's it's only a couple of minutes long. Savage wins with the top rope elbow it's as good as you can imagine a couple of minute long match is with the Zodiac. I've got a note here that simply says Savage wins. This is short and shit.
1: Yeah, that phrase. That's an excellent description of it. Um, I mean, there was no way the Zodiac was going over the macho man.
0: Absolutely. No way. Not, no, no, <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Mean Gene plugs the WCW hotline saying somebody Jimmy Hart used to represent in the WWF is coming over to WCW or potentially coming over to WCW. But he can't talk about it, even though he's talking about it. But he can't drop any names, even though he's narrowed the pool down to whoever Jimmy Hart used to represent. So, oh, Gene, you cheeky little scamp. You're going to get us ringing that number, aren't you?
1: This has become a weekly thing now, Sly, where me and you uh, have to guess um, who he's talking about, because I had no idea. Um, Do you know who he's talking about?
0: I didn't I didn't look into it, to be honest, which, which shows my very poor, low levels of professionalism, I guess. So I apologise to you and everyone listening, Danny. I think looking at the timeline, it being 95, knowing who was knocking around in the WWF at this stage and who turned up in WCW not long after, and then the obvious clue, Jimmy Hart, used to represent them. I think we're getting the honky-tonk, man.
1: That's what I thought as well. But I also thought Bret Hart as well, but he didn't he didn't come until years later. But yeah, uh, the Honky Tonk man, I would have said as well.
0: Yeah, I know Honky comes in around, around 95, 96 for a little run. So th- that I would expect. At, the, at this time, he would have been in the WWF because this would have been when Jeff Jarrett and the roadie and those guys were all knocking around and... Jarrett was trading the IC title of Shawn Michaels on an In Your House event, potentially, and, and that sort of thing. So I think it is honky-tonk, man. I mean, I'll, there'll be people screaming at their podcast players right now whether we're right or wrong, but I think that's who it is, mate. We'll have to look into it for, for next week's show. Definitely. Yes, okay then. I mean, we then get a match that I suppose shows the, the lack of organisation in WCW in this time. Because we're getting Road Warrior Hawk versus our buddy from the the Orient, Kurosawa, uh, and we're we're explained with a little video package here that way back in August, Kurosawa broke Hawk's arm. Now, our watch along started September, early September, with the first Nitro. We're now at the end of October. We've this is I don't know what episode this may well be, episode 9, 10, whatever it may well be of Nitro Nights. We've watched numerous episodes of Nitro, two pay per views now. And this is the first time I think I've heard about Kurosawa breaking Hawk's arm. It is, yeah. Yeah, nothing was mentioned. Nothing's been pushed on Nitro. And all of a sudden, they're on the pay-per-view. And it's like, oh, okay. Did that take you a bit by surprise as well, Danny? It did, yeah. (laughs) It was like,
1: what is that? Not one mention whatsoever. Nothing uh, until this pay-per-view. So, yeah, very, very disorganized.
0: And it's really strange because... To me, if you're going to have this match on a pay per view built around that kind of that kind of grudge match aspect, you know uh, the revenge aspect, I guess. Hawk had his arm broken, then that writes itself. That's, that's easy booking for me, and it makes sense. And it, people will want to pay to see Hawk get his revenge. In theory, if it's booked correctly, explained correctly, and so on, the whole Savage Luger thing is nonsense. There's no, I don't understand that, and they were pushing that every week. It just really strikes me as odd that there'd be no mention of this, this very legit, good, decent storyline. A very simple, straightforward revenge tale that could have promoted this match.
1: Exactly. And both had been on Nitro. And not once was this uh, mentioned as well. Not even Hawk's broken arm.
0: Mm, absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. We start the match very quickly. Uh, Hawk start, starts quickly himself. Obviously, because he's he's fired up because this guy injured him. And he's also starting, I suppose the term is quite stiff, with some of the shots and the, uh, the the suplex he gives Kurosawa and so on. They look like they did not tickle, shall we say. Kurosawa is in charge for a little bit after Parker trips Hawk. Then Parker gets hit by Hawk, and there's a big pop from the audience for that. Kurosawa hits a backdrop and a Samoan drop. Colonel Parker holds his feet, and at the blue, Kurosawa pins hawk i was
1: very surprised by that um but i guess this is something of the good guy not getting uh, his
0: payback yeah i don't know if we're going to go to another match here i'm not sure what happens with hawk i know he eventually returns to the wwf with animal but i don't know what happens with hawk in the immediate future from this from this event we'll i suppose we'll see in the coming weeks but i mean uh, the match itself wasn't great let's be honest it was again quite short hawk looked decent for what he did Kurosawa didn't really get much offense in at all, but the finish was crap. Absolute crap. I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> if you imagine the 1989 WrestleMania Five intercontinental title finish between the Ultimate Warrior and Ravishing Whit Reed, where Bobby Heenan holds down the Warrior's legs so he cannot kick out. That makes sense. But here, Parker is holding down Kurosawa's legs so Hawk could still kick out. It makes no, no sense at all.
1: No, that's what I wrote down. A dirty finish. It literally came out of nowhere. Um, a very, very, yeah, just mm. glad that, glad that um, this, well, hopefully it doesn't continue this
0: feud, but yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's you know, a match with a shoddy finish on a pay-per-view again, which is going to fast become a bit of a theme as we run through this event, isn't it? Yep, definitely. We then get a bit of a crazy Macho man interview with Mean Gene. What did you think of this, Danny? I mean, first, first thing that pops in my head was cocaine. But okay, what did you think, Danny?
1: That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) uh, Yeah, definitely. He had to be on something. He was very, very fired up, wasn't he? I mean, he was probably just very angry from who they'd booked him uh, in the match just uh, a few matches ago. So I can imagine why he was this fired up. But yep, a combination of that and uh, cocaine. Um, made for a lot of nonsense,
0: didn't it, si? It did. It did, mate. It did, yeah. I mean, very briefly, the best moment for the whole thing, though, for me, is Savage turning to Mean Gene and going, your moustache is crooked. I like Gene's little tash there. And Gene, quick as lightning, quick as a snap, just responds, well, your beard is kind of sideways. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, Gene, that was fantastic. You know, because <laughs> it came across very much like Gene didn't know Savage was going to do that. And then he responded like I mean, very quick witted, very almost Bobby Heenan-esque, I suppose, Danny.
1: That probably came from uh, all those years with Bobby Heenan. He just knew how to just get to someone immediately, just respond. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, most likely.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: we then get a match on the pay-per-view that. Again, I don't think it was advertised beforehand, was it?
1: No, nope, absolutely not, but it was a
0: treat. Again, though, I mean, they're in Detroit, which is where the original Sheik was a big name, you know, for his career. And he's coming to the ring here with his nephew, Sabu. As Sabu takes on not Mr. JL anymore, just called JL, now, which was obviously, as we mentioned on a previous episode of Nitro Knights, Jerry Lynn. Surely you would publicise this a bit more. The Sheik is going to be there.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they mentioned it during the match that he uh, sold out of that arena so many times. Um, I was actually this was the first ever time I've seen the Sheik. I've heard all about him and things like that, but wow! I mean, just I can't believe this was when unadvertised.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it baffles me. Why would you not advertise a big name from that area? Even if you're just mentioning it on TV once or twice would have done. It's just so silly. But this match, I was going to say this match felt chucked in to to fill, fill out time. Because we've seen it very recently on Nitro as well. And it wasn't built up on Nitro or anything like that. So it felt very much like a TV match thrown on the pay-per-view to fill out time. But that cannot be the case. It cannot be a last-minute decision because the Sheik is there. And they were talking about it as they went on air that the Sheik is going to be coming out to the ring with Sabu. So it's obviously been planned. They've just not told any fucker. <laughs> Typical <W. laughs> It just It just blows my mind. I, I don't understand. I really don't understand. Oh, dear. Anyway, yeah, we saw this on Nitro not long ago. And, and we know both of these guys can go. You know, Sabu slows down a great deal in his later years because he's just destroyed his body. But we know both of these guys here, at least, can definitely go. And J uh, JL takes out Sabu and the Sheik very early on, coming over the top rope, flattens both of them. There's lots of moves to the floor, power bombs, moonsaults. It seems like every second move is off the top rope as well. It's like they've been told you've got X amount of time and they both decided we're going to fit in everything we can do into that small window.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. This match went under four minutes and it just sped by, didn't it? Because they were just using every dive you can imagine uh i was actually shocked to see the sheik take a bump i mean he did get hit in the head i was i was actually shocked to see that what did you
0: think of that si yeah i mean it's good I, I, it's good when the i suppose the the guys come back the legends the old timers however you want to word it come back and then they actually do physically get involved rather than just stand on the sideline i understand some of them have medical issues and, and and have issues which means they cannot get involved which i'm again completely on board with i always like what they do are, are involved are, are a bit active but I mean this is uh <laughs> quite the as we said Danny, quite the quick match but quite action-packed as well so it kind of all just it kind of comes across a bit messy and a bit all blends into one because they're trying to get so much into such a small window and and yeah. the finish as well again it kind of came out of nowhere for me do you want to talk us through the finish Danny?
1: yeah the finish was uh it just as you said out of completely nowhere um Crowd to me also just what I just want to say the crowd was absolutely was relatively silent uh during a mm. lot, lot of this, but for Sabu to get the pin was uh it was quite nice, but it just just came out of just no like as we said, but um the biggest thing uh, was after the match, uh W's we talk about disorganized. This is the epitome of um disorganization because I'll let you take this one, Sai. What happened?
0: A disorganisation is 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 the perfect way of describing it, Danny. You're absolutely on the money. I can't think of a better word to explain it. The, the Sheik throws a fireball in JL's face, which is a part of the Sheik's gimmick. It was a huge thing he used to do back in the day when he was wrestling, you know, all the time. The big nasty heel throwing fire in everyone's faces and so on. And it'd be quite a dramatic spot. There's this ball of flame flying across the ring as JL's led on the floor. And JL sells it like he's been hit in the mush by a big ball of flame, as you would expect. But we don't see it because the camera doesn't catch it. So we we get a bit of it on a replay, but not all of it. And we have to just listen to Tony Schiavone try and explain what happened. And I know deep down Schiavone's rolling his eyes and just thinking, oh my God, what has happened here? But yeah, we missed it, mate, didn't we?
1: I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was a huge spot. They knew it was coming. Uh, It was, as you said, a legendary spot. He'd done this in the 70s and 80s. And they just thought, they just didn't take the time to think, oh, it's happening now. I Just wow.
0: Just Mm. just, wow. What else can you say? It's ridiculous. I mean, uh, the thing as well is the camera is there. The camera is on what you need to see. And they cut away from it and go back to it. And the bit that they cut away from is the firewall spot. It's just it again. It's it's mind-baffling, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But uh, speaking of mind-baffling, what do we get next, side?
0: <laughs> oh no, we get the master and the taskmaster doing a promo. They're both on the stage, looking a little bit. St- I don't know, starry eyed, starey eyed. They're kind of both just staring off into the distance. The master cutting a ranty, shouty promo referring, referring to Sullivan, my son, and all this kind of nonsense. The insurance policy is here and all this. And whilst this is going on, it looks a little bit like Kevin Sullivan's dozing off. I thought that too. <laughs> he doesn't look interested, does he? <laughs>
1: No, he does not. Um, he he was probably thinking, okay, maybe I've taken this too far.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the look of a man thinking, I don't know what's going on anymore. This thing has snowballed while so out of my control. This is nonsense. <laughs> we get mentions of the Yeti though, which is something to behold later on. Something for us all to enjoy towards the end of the show. We then have <laughs> the Harley Davidson giveaway. So again, we're coming away from the ring for a long promo from the Master and the Taskmaster. And then we cut backstage to Harley Davidson being given away to some people from, I think they said Alabama, who are going to ride it all the way home, apparently, but there's four of them. So I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Have they got a sidecar? I'm not 100% certain. But Hogan here looks like NWO Hogan, doesn't he?
1: That was the tights were. Um, I know the first thing I noticed were the tights. The um, like the thunder on the tights, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, he's like NWO Hogan. It's, it's obviously the first occasion where he's kind of toying around with, with that side of things. I guess maybe we then get another advert because you know he wants to watch wrestling on a wrestling pay per view. We then get another advert, but this is for the next pay per view, World War Three. You excited about World War Three, Danny?
1: absolutely um i think we talked about it before and uh, i actually am looking forward to the concept of it so yeah yeah we'll see if that uh if that excitement keeps on
0: i haven't seen that in many 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 years so i'm quite intrigued to go back and watch the event as well and obviously the bit the big highlight for me is talking about these events with you when you're seeing them for the first time i find it absolutely fascinating because you notice things that i don't notice and you're uh, putting forward opinions and thoughts that I suppose I've, I've very much been stuck in my ways for years, but then you point something out that I've not noticed because you've looked at it with a fresh pair of eyes. So I'm really looking forward to watching world war three of you. I think that's going to be a a great bit of fun, mate.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I am too, but I just want to quickly go back to that um, Harley Davidson giveaway. Did you know, I want to ask you something. How many times do you think Hulk Hogan said the word brother in that?
0: Oh man, have you counted them? Have you? yeah oh uh, okay oh okay um how long was the promo what for four minutes maybe something like that uh, just under
1: five yep
0: just under five minutes okay okay in just under five minutes I'm gonna have a stab at I don't know three times a minute so shall we say 15 oh so close it was 12 was it really oh I'm gonna fall off at all. look at that I'm just trying to look at things logically you know but still 12 is too many <laughs> I Fair couldn't eight. I
1: couldn't I couldn't uh counting after the first four. I was thinking, oh wow, how many times is it gonna go gone on? But yeah, I mean we'll get to Hulk Hogan later.
0: Uh, do we have to? <laughs> uh we do get a bit more well, what what's what, what's under the banner of wrestling, I suppose. I'm not sure if you can actually call it real wrestling, but yeah, you know, they they're describing it as wrestling to us when we have Luger versus Meng and again that the, the notes i've got here is very simple very punch kick what did you think about this one danny
1: wow um do you know what this it wasn't the best match of the night but um it was a, i enjoyed it for what it was um <laughs> if you take out that dreadful finish but we'll get to it uh, later on um i actually did enjoy this yeah the crowd was into it you can give them mm. that but what did you think overall sir
0: I'll literally, I'll just, I've made like bullet points here for this match because this match, to me again, similar to the opener, went on far too long, far too long. When when JL and Sabu are getting like three minutes or whatever it was you said it was, and then we've got Luger versus Meng getting as long as they have. That doesn't make sense to me. I've got literally written down in front of me: punch kick, punch kick, rest holds, punch kick, punch kick, power driver, punch kick, punch kick, rest holds. Shit finish. That's literally my description of this match.
1: And the worst thing is this match went 13 minutes.
0: Yes. Yes, it did. Do you want to talk us through the finish, Danny? Because we get a little bit of a, a bit of confusion here, don't we? As to what's going on exactly.
1: Yep. Uh, so we get Kevin Sullivan running out as to add to that shit finish that you said. He comes out and just kicks, just costs Meng the match by kicking Luger. Uh, so it was like... What was the point of
0: that? I don't understand. Yeah. then got the gold spike out, didn't he? And struck Luger oh. in the spike. And it was like... Yeah.
1: You have to give <sighs> Lex Luger credit for that selling that sell job because uh he sold out like he'd actually been hit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing Luger is good at, it's falling down and not moving much. He built a career on that. <laughs> he did. And he always made that weird sound, didn't he? I, I can't even attempt
1: to do an impression of it, but it is it like, it's like he'd been like um shot or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> wooden Lex. At the end of the day, he made a lot of money by being that wooden. Just with muscles and a mallet, you get away with anything. But there we go. Meng uses the spike. Sullivan, I suppose, I, can't, I don't think you can describe it as kicks Luger. He kind of, it's like, you know, when you've got something nasty on the bottom of your shoe and you go to the curb and you try and wipe it off on the curb, it's like a real gentle kind of scuff. That's what Kevin Sullivan does to Lex Luger here. It doesn't even kick him or anything, it just barely touches the guy, doesn't he? he barely... It was like Lex couldn't. Um... <laughs> Sorry. I've broken down. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was like um, Lex, Lex, Lex couldn't be touched or anything like that. He had an uh, in his contract. He had, um, don't touch Lex Luger uh, if you're Kevin Sullivan or something like that. But no, he, he ever so gently just tapped him.
0: Mm, perhaps it was where he was touching him. Perhaps he's like, you can slam me on my back. That's okay. You can chop my chest. That's fine. But don't you dare touch my shoulders, brother. Yeah, know that why, sounds about right. I don't know why I went Hulk Hogan then, but that was kind of, you know... <laughs> yeah, I've got Meng is disqualified. Total shit written here. So, I think mean, that kind of covers the, the match itself.
1: Yeah, that sums it up. But I, I enjoyed it, um, uh, just for the storyline aspect of it. But the action was not good, but power moves and things like that were all right. But the story... and that Because now we'll get to see Lex in, later on in the night, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, because obviously the, the, the matches Savage and Luger were having, it was agreed that if they both won, they would face each other later in the night. We now have the big question as well of why has Sullivan cost a member of the Dungeon of Doom a match that he looked like he had won because he used his silly golden spike thingamy? Why is he helping Lex, it seems like? Lex is looking at him like he doesn't know why he's done it. Really kind of a lot of questions, I guess. And And to me... As shit as that match was to me. Obviously, you say you didn't mind it, you know, and, and and fair play. But to me, I didn't enjoy this too much. But going out of it, you've got questions and you're kind of thinking, well, why has Sullivan done this? What's happening with Sullivan and Luger? What's happening with Sullivan and Men? What's going on here? Which I suppose is kind of the point, I guess
1: it's to build intrigue isn't it and if also if you factor in kamala just no showing in kayfabe wise maybe the dungeon of doom is breaking up and we're being
0: saved from this maybe i think you're hoping against hope there my friend but maybe maybe i'll join you on that little island of optimism and see how we how we get on but i don't think we're gonna fare too well we speaking of the dungeon of doom we get the giant cutting a promo backstage in his racing gear, ready for his monster truck match, which was actually filmed the night before. So he's literally chucked this gear on to uh, <laughs> do this interview, make it look like it's all you know in, in, li- in the timeline and so on. He looks pretty ridiculous in these big motor racing overalls and he's ranting about beating Hogan and he's going to be champion and this, that, the other. Was anything of worth came from this promo, Danny, do you think? Nothing, nothing good, but I did write down he was way too comical
1: for a monster heel in this. Um way too smiley and uh
0: yeah, other than that, um nah just a naff interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, naff's a good naff's a good shape, naff's a good shape. Um the next match we get is probably the thing I was looking forward to the most on the event, and it's Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman versus Sting and Ric Flair. And the first note I've got under the title of the match is Thank fuck for this.
1: Definitely. It's uh, something that I was looking forward to as well. Um yeah, they, they built a good storyline up to this, didn't they? I mean this has been about a month's worth of storyline.
0: Yeah, I mean they were they was interactions on the last pay-per-view. Flair wrestled on on the last pay-per-view. Then we've always had something going on on Nitro, whether it was the Potential Handicap match. And then we had Flair trying to get Sting to be his partner. Sting saying, if you double-cross me, I'll, I'll, I'll end you and all this sort of stuff. Because, you know, Sting's thinking, why should I trust Rick Flair? And then we get the match on Nitro where Flair takes on Arn and Pillman on his own. And Sting decides, you know what, I do trust him because he's doing it on his own. He goes out to help him. It's It's been quite cleverly done, I think. Quite cleverly done. Yeah, definitely a really good build. I've really been impressed with it. I mean, talk us through the beginning of this match, then, Danny. We obviously start without Ric Flair, don't we?
1: Yeah, we start just as a uh, two-on-one handicap match. Um, a lot of I did find a lot of the time the crowd was like kind of milling around, waiting for Ric Flair to appear, mm. but they took their time, didn't they? And um, I would say it, it was like it, it was all about the um, drama and the story uh, during this as well. Um, and and you know what we got. Side that we haven't got for a long time. What's that? We got an Arn Anderson
0: entrance in full five. Yes, of them. and it's taken what six weeks, I think, for us to see that. Maybe five <laughs> yeah. episodes, six episodes. But we're
1: still yet to get a solo Arn Anderson entrance, so the streak continues. But yeah, yeah. we have to we have to pay for that entrance uh, on pay review <laughs> But yeah, oh, there was a lot of action, a lot of fast paced action, a lot. Of, but it was mainly about. Sting being being down to get the crowds, look to get them warmed up for um, Rick Flair coming out. But, um, yeah, what, what did you think of it, Ty? Si?
0: I reckon Sting here is fantastic. The crowd are fully behind Sting. And when Flair does arrive, after so many We Want Flair chants from the crowd and so on, Flair arrives in his street clothes. He's desperate for the tag from Sting. He's yelling, Stinger, I'm here. Stinger, I'm here. Sting's reaching out and can't quite make it. The heels keep cutting him off. And you can... The crowd are so behind Sting. They don't care that it's Ric Flair that that is is his partner. Because everyone kind of knows what's coming, don't they? It's Ric Flair, let's be honest. They just want Sting to take that tag. They're they're fully behind Sting because the guy is, you know, the the ultimate babyface, isn't he? in, In this era. We get various moves from the heel team, Spinebuster from Arn, some high-flying stuff from Pillman. And Sting nearly gets the tag a few times and gets cut off a few times as well, which is a lovely touch because it builds the crowd up and then drops them back down again. Get a bit of a weird spot where Pillman puts a half crab on Sting and Arn Anderson grabs the hands to sort of add more pressure. He's putting Pillman in the wrong direction. He's almost putting Pillman away from Sting.
1: I noticed that as well. It was like, what well why bother?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, Aaron, you know better than that, mate. <laughs>
1: it's, Mike, it's like he's never been in a tag match.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was weird for me. It's very strange. I mean, the heels were in control of this for a very long time. So to me, it's getting the balance right. I can appreciate why they're in control, battering sting for so long, because they're building up to the big tag. And the moment we're going to discuss in a moment, uh, the moment we're going to discuss in a moment, listen to me, the moment we're going to discuss very shortly. And um, at the same time, I feel maybe it goes on a touch too long. You almost want Sting to make the tag, like uh, the the opportunity before he actually makes the tag, maybe. I mean, it's just me being nitpicky, I guess. Well, do, 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 do you think that or do you think this was well done time wise or?
1: I sort of think uh, in between the middle there because uh, it did go on a bit long, but when that tag was made, the pop was worth it.
0: Yes, definitely. Flair finally gets the hot tag. Huge pop, jumps in the ring, turns around and punches Sting. I thought to myself, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) And the crowd were in agreement with you. They were booing them out of the building. I thought this was really well done. I thought the the role Sting played was great. Arn and Pillman as the devilish villains beating up sting to the point where he can barely crawl to flair's help so sorry to get flair's help flair desperate to get in the ring tagging in and even when he tags in the last couple of seconds before he turns he jumps through the ropes and glares at pillman and Arn anderson as he's stepping towards them looking like he's going to attack them it was so well done because we all kind of knew that sting was going to get turned on by flair but even when he was Tagged in and you're two literally two seconds away from the turn. I still kind of and I've seen it god knows so how many times I, I still kind of felt go on, Rick, he's gonna go get on Anderson and Brian Pillman here. They completely got me into this, Hookline and Zinger.
1: This was worth uh the whole watching the whole pay-per-view, in my opinion. I mean that the, that that did genuinely make me angry. It was like, oh
0: why? <laughs> Brilliant. That's great. The fact that, that however many years ago this this was. And, and these guys are that good at their craft, they still get a reaction from you and me like that. That is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I wrote down. I wrote, Bully Ray would approve of this because it was heat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, after the match, I mean, the match effectively goes to a, a, a no contest. I mean, I suppose it's, in, it's listed as Sting and Flair win via DQ, but I don't quite understand how they came to that conclusion. But it's kind of like a no contest, really, Danny, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really is. Uh, Something that really stood out was straight after this, we get Lex Luger's interview was probably the best interview I've ever seen Lex Luger do. Uh, What did you think about this fired up interview, sir?
0: Yeah, it's strange because it seems to be a reoccurring theme with me on this pay-per-view. It's almost like Lex says what he needs to say and they keep the microphone in his face so he feels like he needs to keep talking. So he ends up at the end of the interview going round and round and round the same points again. But if you take that away, I do kind of agree with you. He is fired up. He is passionate. He is like going to show Savage who's boss and so on. And it did it did work for me. Yeah,
1: yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it felt like he was being genuine as well because Sting is his uh, well, it was his best friend at this point. And um, yeah, you could just tell he was like so angry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, literally moments before that, however, mean Gene comes out onto the, the entranceway and greets Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Brian Pillman as they're leaving their match. And they all cut a bit of a promo. Pillman's a bit ranty, crazy, shitey, which works for him. Flair is Flair, always fantastic. But then Arn Anderson steps up to the microphone, looks dead. Dead straight down into the camera, burns a hole in your soul with that ice cold stare he has. Throws up the four fingers and says, "You wanted this, or well, just be careful what you wish for." And it was just ah, like, oh, this guy is the business.
1: He really is. He should have been in films, to be honest with you.
0: That was so good. I mean, I've said it before on an episode of Nitro Notes that obviously we know pro wrestling is predetermined. We know these guys are playing characters. On Anderson's not. Arn Anderson is fucking real. Arn Anderson is really Arn Anderson. That's it. End of. That's a, He walks into his local shop in his trunks and his bomber jacket, throws up four fingers and says, I want four pints of milk, please, and just stares the shopkeeper down until he's given what he wants. That's how Arn Anderson is in real life, I swear.
1: I, I believe it. I 100% believe it, even to this day.
0: <laughs> oh, we get a promo video promoting Hogan and the Giant which is, again, I suppose brilliant if you've not seen it 15 times before, Danny.
1: No, definitely not. Yeah, this was... um, It was like, oh, come on, get on with it.
0: Yes. Eric Bischoff then turns up and he's speaking to a guy who built Hogan's monster truck, which surprises me because we were told Hogan was going to build his monster truck himself.
1: That, uh, That really did stick out to me. It was like... Well, Hulk Hogan lion. I don't think that's... I've never heard of Hulk Hogan lion, but yeah,
0: shocking. Honest honest Hulk, they call him, don't they? Honest Hulk. That's what he's called in the locker room. know, Old Truthful Terry, he's referred to as. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this takes us to our Monster Truck Sumo match. Um, if anyone's not seen this, we'll, we'll give you a brief rundown of it. It's one of those... I suppose one of those moments in wrestling that is so ridiculous and so stupid, we're going to end up slagging it off, but you do have to go and watch it to understand it because it will make you laugh of how bad it is. It's ridiculous. Basically the two monster trucks are, we're told welded together, but that guy's welding uh, that wouldn't hold a, 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 a four mil water pipe. That was insanely bad welding. That was, I'm no expert, but you know, that was bad. The trucks are attached bumper to bumper at the front. We're told there is a co-pilot in the cars with them steering because the wheels steer separately to each other. So one has to steer the back, one has to steer the front and be in charge of the throttle and and so on. So we kind of know that the Giant and, and Hogan aren't really driving these trucks, believe it or not. Now, Hogan's truck tickles me because his truck has got big Hulk Hogan arms and biceps on it. And even a bloody bandana
1: (laughs) i can't believe it it just talk about a gimmick
0: yeah yeah totally Uh, and both trucks are sort of pushing trying to push each other out of the the assembled ring i mean there's a couple of things here that i find were quite impressive the aerial shots i thought were great from i think it's a helicopter they've got circling the building So you see the trucks lit up, you see the ring lit up. I say ring as in a circle, as as opposed to a wrestling ring. And then you see the Detroit skyline and the traffic and all that sort of stuff in the background. It looked really impressive from that standpoint. But when I'd seen the two trucks going nose to nose, pushing each other back and forth, for around 35 to 40 seconds, I was done. I was like, okay, my interest has peaked, and I hit a bottom. But this went on for much longer, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it did. I feel the same way. Um, the one thing I wrote about this is the commentary was um, okay, especially from Eric Bischoff. He did um, sell it quite well because you could tell he was totally into it.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good sight. Um What I'd like to hear now, Danny, is I mean, Hulk Hogan ends up winning the the monster truck match. He pushes the giant's truck out of the 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 circle of lights, the ring they have set up, or whatever it is what happens next is quite a big moment in this show and is still spoken about present day with mockery from wrestling fans. So I'd really like to hear your thoughts as you talk us through the giant getting out of his monster truck and onwards, because I'm assuming this is the first time you've seen this.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. This is the first time. Um, And, I was very offended by this because for like around a month and a half now, um, Hulk Hogan has been promising to essentially kill, uh, the giant and put him in the grave next to his father. And then when he actually accomplishes that, what does the first thing he does, what does he
0: do? So si? start shouting for help. It's, it's, it's uh, the, effectively the giant and the giants cross because he lost the monster trip match. You know, I mean, people deal with disappointment and, and loss in different ways. The giant decides to go all ragey ragey and he, he goes after Hogan. They have a bit of a pushing match back and forth. They end up on the ledge of this building, which we're told is, is it four stories or 40 stories? I think it was four, wasn't it? Yeah, it was four. Yeah. Okay. which is just a bloody long way up, let's be honest. And the giant falls. And basically we're, we're told how high up this building is the whole time. We're told on one side, there's a car park on the on the ground, so you're hitting concrete. We're told on the other side, there's con water. You're falling four stories, and it's pressed to us quite often. You, either way, you fall off either side, you're dead. And the giant's fallen off. So, in theory, the giant is dead?
1: Yeah, as promised by Hulk Hogan. <laughs>
0: Murdering bastard.
1: <laughs> I, I thought it was just careers that Hulk Hogan murdered, but
0: it's not. <laughs> the, the best point of this for me was Eric Bischoff and Heenan on commentary. Even though this is absolute nonsense, this is just insane, crazy bullshit. The Giants have been pushed off a building and been killed on live on pay per view. Now, I'm assuming some form of criminal charges will come from that. There's video evidence, for fuck's sake. But either way, Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan sell this nonsense like it's the most serious, important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And Heenan's performance, especially, is fantastic. He's genuinely concerned, and he almost comes across like he's he's concerned about Paul White, as opposed to the giant character. He doesn't mention him by name, but he's taught, you know, I've just seen a man fall four stories, Bischoff, and he's, he's almost crossed that nobody else is at his level of concern. And Heenan, nobody can get this shit over for me. This is nonsense and bullshit. This is absolute daft crap. But Heenan, fucking fair play to the guy. He gets really close to, to getting this over with me.
1: I've always said um, one of W's best acquisitions was Bobby Heenan because, on this night, he definitely earned his money.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Whilst they're sort of shouting about what to do and you know Hogan screaming for help and so on, um, Bischoff touches the side of his headset, turns to the camera, and says, "We've got to go to the ring." You know, so sod that guy who's just been killed. Let's go to a wrestling match. (laughs) The show must go on, sir. The show must go on. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. The next match is Luger versus Savage. And I've got a note here that simply says, a match, dear God, man, a fella has just died.
1: That uh, pretty much sums up uh, how the audience uh, felt as well, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, there weren't a lot going on from the audience, was it? They were just kind of, I don't know if they were sat around thinking, the guy's dead or they were sat around thinking what the fuck have I just witnessed
1: I'm sure some of them were on the phone today of Meltzer uh, reporting live and saying uh, you better put Paul White's obituary in the next uh edition
0: <laughs> Meltzer on the phone back like he fell from where he did what <laughs> and he would believe it as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear me Jimmy Hart, oddly, comes out for this match as well. Now, Jimmy Hart's not associated with Luger or Savage, and he's still very much dressed in all black because he's around the evil of the dark side of Hulk Hogan that the Dungeon of Doom was drawn out of Hogan here. <sighs> Hogan's... <sighs> the commentators are selling the giant falling from the building all the way through this match. It's not a particularly long contest, we end up getting to the finish relatively quickly. It's it's a lot of punchy, kicky, nothing too, too structured there. And, and Luger bumps into Jimmy Hart, who's still on the apron, takes the top rope elbow, Savage wins. And then that's kind of it for that match, isn't it? Nothing else really goes on. We're sort of wondering what's Jimmy Hart up to? Why was he even there? Why was he trying to speak to the referee in a match involving Savage and Luger? Danny, could you make any sense out of any of this? Have I missed anything?
1: No, not pretty much. I mean, this obviously to set up for what's later, but um, yeah, uh, nothing. This went over just over five minutes, and uh, I wrote down this was too quick w- for the amount of story that they had uh, invested in it and television time, um, and the fact that Lex Luger had a decent match in my opinion earlier, but Savage just had Savage really had an easy night here, didn't
0: he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was his first match Dan, I think you said it was like three minutes, wasn't it? Three and a half minutes, I think you said? And, and all that muddy. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't do it a great deal because the majority of that time was filled up with this crazy guy from Megadeth who was in the ring getting wrestled by, you know, Randy Anderson. And then he hits the top rope elbow and he's out of there. Luger has a match that he spent a lot of time staying relatively still in, I suppose. So you think they're both quite fresh and can go, but again, time issues with WCW... So much of this show was filled up with just guff, video packages, interviews, then more interviews, then giving away motorbikes, then more interviews, then, oh, heres Min Jin. he's going to speak to somebody as they leave the ring, so more interviews, and then monster trucks. And it's just like so much of this pay-per-view, the time was just frittered away on nonsense. So when it came down to something that people actually wanted to see, the conclusion of this Luger-Savage feud, they only had a couple of minutes for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it felt like one giant advert, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it did, it did. We then get a bit of a surprise from Shivani, was back on the commentary saying, oh my goodness, Michael Buffer is in the ring. He was obviously there to be the ring announcer for our main event of the evening, the man versus man side of the double main event with Hogan and the Big Show, having just seen the machine versus machine. Hogan comes out first, acting quite solemn, He's getting booed a bit as well. He looks concerned. I mean, he should look concerned. He's just killed the fella. You know, he, he's he's going to be in big trouble. You know? <laughs> it's all on camera. People have seen this shit. Uh, and then the Giant comes out with Kevin Sullivan at his side. Not a scratch on him. Not limping. No issues at all. It looks like he's had no problem. He, look, he looks like, effectively, he's just got out of bed, had a nice hot shower to wake himself up, a cup of coffee, and he's like, oh, I'll go work now. Couldn't
1: believe it. I just could not believe it. So. But what, just going back to Michael Buff- Buffer, one thing, um, he said Hulk mania. And that always just drives me crazy because um, <laughs> it, it's not. It's like he bought, not, didn't bother to learn his mania, not Hulk mania. I don't know why that annoys me so much, but it's like, ah, oh, just get it right. You're being
0: paid all that money. There's stuff that happens in later events that will drive you even more insane. I think on one occasion he refers to Bret Hart as Bret Clark. yes, <laughs> and, and, and stuff like this. And he was paid a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, there's different figures that get banded around all the time. But I mean, in later pay per views, when WWE are doing incredibly well and making money hand over fist, there's talk about Buffer making $30,000. And he only announced the main events. Just for five words. Amazing, it's just absolutely insane. Again, the, these are just reports online. I don't know how accurate they are, but it seems to be quite a few people banding around the same number. So, you yeah. know,
1: I mean, uh, just to give credit for him, I mean, even to this day, he praises his time in W uh, on Twitter. So that's pretty. Of course, cool. he
0: does. It probably bought him his third house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a first class airfare uh, hotel and 50 grand reportedly just to say five words
0: I would be praising them too <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh, the match is going to take place it seems despite the fact that the giant is I suppose a ghost because he died I don't know at I I, I, this stage I've kind of just got so confused with what's going on I've got no idea uh, Hogan has his bandana on which is black, of course, because the Dungeon of Doom have drawn out the evil side. The bandana gets pulled off. The giant shows an expression of shock, doesn't quite know how to react. Turns to Kevin Sullivan, and in true WWE fashion, we don't get a look at what he's look what he's looking at.
1: It's uh, one thing that really um, shocked me was when Hulk Hogan took off the bandana. What was that painted on his head?
0: yeah well that's what the 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 giant's looking shocked at and turning to kevin sullivan that's the kevin sullivan eyebrows that sullivan's got painted on the sort of evil sinister big eyebrows that get painted on his forehead Uh, so obviously the dungeon of brought out that brought out the evil side of hogan so he's got the the eyebrows painted on himself and the giant tries to sell it for a moment and turns to sullivan as if to say oh my goodness look at this but we don't see what it is straight away because the cameraman misses it again and it's sort of 30 seconds later when the match continues we catch a glimpse of Hogan's big bold bounce with this weird tribalistic eyebrow design I guess so yeah well done WCW again for missing that moment that could have been I suppose on a show of things that are not cool that could have been closer to cool I suppose
1: definitely um just this match was a mess uh, for me i've just wrote there's not many notes but one of them is just punches everywhere punches punches mm-hmm. punches
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um, the giant you... tries a, well the giant tries a leg drop i thought that was quite cool because he got really high for that um
1: and effectively um i'm not not to rush through this match but we get basically the WrestleMania free finish don't we
0: yeah yeah we do we do, and I mean, you say not to rush through the match, but I'm quite happy to rush through this match. If I never see this match again or, or talk about it again for the rest of my life, I'm a, a diet happy bunny. No,
1: um, and, but I do want to say something very popular. I can see why you feel like that. Si. Um, the, when Hulk Hogan slammed um, the giant here, the pop was insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is one thing that that, that did well. Hogan, as much as there's a lot of negativity around the guy, now for his real life persona and there's a lot of negativity as well from hogan's on-screen persona from around this time he's overstayed his welcome as the the red and yellow baby face and so on hogan knew how to work a crowd you look at the way he used to time his comebacks you look at the way if you gave him a, a heel a good heel to work against how he would sell certain things obviously it was only for his personal benefit he was very much you know that, that kind of bias in his performances but he used to really know what he was doing with regards to these when he WrestleMania in 18 with the rock and so on and uh, all this stuff just the guy was fantastic and some of the stuff here is boring and awful to watch and it's messy it, The it's the giant's first proper wrestling match in his career and it's in the main event of a pay-per-view so you got to feel sorry for the guy in a way because he doesn't quite know what he's doing there's a few times where they there's miscommunications in the ring and it's a bit of a state, but Hogan does get the crowd into it, even though it is just garbage to watch.
1: He does. And um, as you said, for his own benefit, um, he would, when he faces a opponent bigger than him, it's always the same story. The giant dominating until Hulk makes the comeback, which uh, always gets a pop.
0: Yeah, I see. I got a note about that as well, my friend. The whole Hogan comeback, hulking up—they call it, don't they? Where he sort of points at them, it was you, one, two, three punches, and the big boot, and then he cups the ear, and, then, and yeah, the 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 eight-year-old, nine-year-old, Sai still gets a kick out of that night. I still, I still, I, I go back and I watch, I watch the, I watch Hogan uh, beat Savage at WrestleMania Five. I still get a buzz from that because it's just. Just great, silly nonsense, you know? But his timing of when he does that sometimes, and here is the perfect example. The giant has been choke slamming everyone to hell in his appearances on Nitro. And it's after the choke slam he gives Hogan, which is obviously going to be his finishing move. He hits Hogan with the choke slam. That's when Hogan does the hulking up shtick. And that to me just, thankfully, it didn't hurt the giant too much going forward. But I just think that's a little bit unnecessary. I mean, you could do it after a big leg drop, after a big splash, after anything. Not after the guy's finish.
1: No, I agree with you 100%. Um, and speaking of finish, uh, we get Jimmy Hart coming out, don't we? And what does he do, sir?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, Bruce Pritchard once famously said Jimmy Hart never met a camera he didn't like. So he's trying to get in front of the screen as much as he possibly can. But... Yeah, as you mentioned, we get the the WrestleMania 3 kind of throwback, the body slam, the crowd go wild, the big leg drop. But Jimmy Hart hits the referee. And we don't quite catch what happens there either. The camera angle, we're looking at it, but the angle isn't... It's almost like we're looking at it from the wrong side, so we can't see what happens. So Shivani and Heenan are even asking on commentary, what happened? I think Jimmy Hart hit the referee. I don't know. So there's a bit of confusion around what goes on. And then Jimmy Hart gives Hulk Hogan one of the weakest belt shots I've ever seen in my life. But it does send that signal of Hart has turned on Hogan, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah, And I think this was the first time uh, he turned on Hulk Hogan, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. (laughs) We then get a beat down on Hogan with the referee unconscious on the floor. A bear hug, which is a spot I've never been a fan of. a bear hug from, uh, I went to call him the big show there. That's not quite right. A bear hug from the giant on Hulk Hogan. Luger and Savage run down. And you're thinking, oh, here they come, the baby faces, to help Hogan out. They run down together. The crowd are cheering. They're they're side by side. They get in the ring. And then Luger turns around and just wallops Savage.
1: (laughs) I mean, this was funny, but to me... Uh, he's been in the company less than two months. I think this was too soon for him to turn heel. What did you think, sir?
0: Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I suppose when you look at it from the aspect of, they've lost Kamala. Uh, uh, Vader has departed, or has you know, departed very recently as well. They're kind of looking a bit thin on the ground for heels, maybe. Um, so on this show, they've turned Ric Flair back heel. They've turned Luger heel. I can kind of see why potentially they're doing it, especially when you think the Dungeon of Doom has lost a member as well. Uh, I, I, but I know where you're coming from. It does seem quite quick in his return to doing this. But the issue I have with Luger is he's come back and he had this, this heat behind him. He had this push behind him and it never really went too far. He had the title match um, with, with Hogan. He had he had the, the feud with Savage but the whole babyface versus babyface feuds at this time didn't quite work properly, I guess. But I can totally see your point of it being so quick in his return. But I can also see why it's been done. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does um, definitely. Especially when you just said uh, they're running thin on heels. Um, yeah, that actually that actually makes more sense than what I have to be honest with you because they need they need need more people to feed Hulk Hogan. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and what happens then? Luger's turned on Savage. Luger racks Hogan. And we see him, don't we? The insurance policy. The big toilet roll monster himself. Who is storming down the entranceway, Danny? The Yeti. It is, mate. It is. What are Yay. your thoughts on this?
1: That was uh it was an event, let's just say that, maybe.
0: <laughs> it <laughs> he, was something um,
1: that happened. Yeah, it was historic. He uh, walked in uh, and just proceeded to hump Hulk Hogan, uh, which I found very odd.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a very famous gif, isn't there? Am I saying that right? Gif? GIF it is gif, isn't
1: it? I don't know, I'm too
0: old as well. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, oh, we'll go with gif. There's a very famous gif where... Hogan is basically the meat in a giant sandwich between the Giant and the Yeti. And the Yeti basically just looks like he's grinding on Hogan, I suppose. You know? I mean, in places I've been, you've got to pay 20 quid to get that sort of treatment. Do you know what I mean? It's like... (laughs) And not from a bloke dressed up like that either. I'll tell you that for nothing. Anyway, Michael Buffer announces the Giant wins by DQ, but Hogan is still the champ. That makes no sense at all to me absolutely
1: no um the whole thing is just ridiculous should the giant be there anyway he was pushed off of a building (laughs) i mean if they i I was thinking not rebooking this whole thing but i was thinking why didn't they just dress the giant up as the mummy and that would have made a little bit more sense
0: (laughs) oh yeah i suppose i suppose i mean they kind of kept speaking about this insurance policy didn't they you know sullivan and his crazy dad sat in that stone thrown ranting and shouting under the green light and whatnot so i suppose they had to have somebody else as the insurance policy they've got this massive tall fella hogan likes working with guys bigger than him i can kind of see why but it's just nonsense the whole thing is just absolute it just doesn't make sense
1: and i've never been a fan of uh, a disqualification finish to a pay-per-view main event that people have paid for so I wasn't really uh, over overjoyed with that. What did you think si, of the finish?
0: Well, I mean, that's the outcome uh, I was going to come to. Actually, the the finish of not just this match, but the matches on the card. I mean, first of all, the finish of this one, Buffer announcing that the Giant wins by DQ. I don't understand how that's happened. I don't get that. That's that makes no sense. No sense at all. I don't understand because Jimmy Hart's attacked Hogan, so surely Hogan wins by DQ. But whatever, whatever. Um, the map, the, the card in general, we'll, we'll come we'll out come to our thoughts about like the card in general, I suppose, Danny, and I'll, I'll touch upon the finishes there. We've got eight wrestling matches on this pay-per-view. We'll take away the Monster Truck match, even though it's listed as a match because it's not a wrestling match. We've got eight matches. In those eight matches, three of them end in disqualifications. So that's a lot to me. Three out of eight to end in DQ on a pay-per-view is a lot. It really out is yeah yeah out of those eight matches six of those eight had some kind of interference or schmozzy finish you only got two clean finishes in the whole of the pay-per-view and to add even more to this this pay-per-view is about two hours 40 minutes long on the wwe network of that two hours 40 minutes only 74 minutes of wrestling actually took place wow That's 45% of the show, less than half of this wrestling pay-per-view was wrestling and all that wrestling over half ended in a crappy interference, destruction schmozzy kind of finish. I would be fuming if I booked this pay-per-view.
1: I, I agree. I mean, just wow. I mean, you're spending nearly $50 in America um, to see that. <laughs> That's mm. insane. But I just, I just want to ask you a quick question, sir. Yep. What do Chris Benoit, Devalenko, Paul Orndorff, and the Renegade and Eddie Grower have in common? Mm.
0: Oh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a t- TV title link somehow along those lines. But go on.
1: They were all here at this building and weren't put on the pay per view. They all f- had the pre show matches, which is just insane. Ah,
0: yes. Okay. It, I think it was. Um, wcw main event wasn't it that was on i think it was on television and ran into the pay-per-view if i get that right i'm not 100 yeah. sure but you're right there's so much talent there and oh man that's insane danny what a, what a shake that is 45 uh, percent of the show is not it, is, is wrestling and you've got all those guys there
1: yeah even steven regal here i just wow i can't believe that we so we were we were faced with the zodiac and we could have had chris benoit <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Or Guerrero or uh, Malenka. Ugh.
1: Even the Renegade I would have taken over Zodiac. <laughs>
0: hey, steady on. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I suppose that sort of brings our coverage of Halloween Havoc 1995 to a close. When we started this project, this watchback, I knew 95 and early 96 is ropey as hell. We're getting through it. We've had some good moments. We've had some good matches. We've even had some good nitros. There's been a few shows that we've both given a hit rating to. This, I knew, was going to be shaky ground going in. I'm glad it's out the way. Scott Hall can't come quick enough. Um, <laughs> so, Danny, as always, we have our pros and cons, our good points and our bad points for the show. Our woos and our own brothers
1: brother brother
0: brother brothers brother woo! brother do you want to go first or second my friend
1: i'll go fast this week as uh, i and i would say the woo was definitely the rick flair heel turn um because it sucked me in so well it was like oh wow and then i felt so angry when rick flair turned heel eventually i mean we knew it was coming but i didn't know it would be that fast so that would be mine what was your would be yours say si?
0: uh, first of all i i I honestly, I love the fact that Flair got you that angry with what he did. That just shows that pro wrestling, when it's done properly and it's done right and it's done by people who know what they're doing, can just get those emotions. I mean, this, this event is, you know, it's 1995. It's, what, 27 years ago, if my maths is right? And it's still getting that kind of reaction from you. That is superb. Well done to everyone involved in that contest. And that very nearly was my woo as well. But I'm going to go for the Sabi versus JL match. It was far too short, but it's the match I got the most enjoyment out of. So that, that's my wee for this week, Make Quite straightforward, Sabi versus JR. What about your O brother, bud?
1: Oh, the O brother would definitely be the, the, the Yeti. How can it not be the Yeti? <laughs> yeah.
0: See, that was.
1: Go on. I was cho- I was told between that or Hulk Hogan apologising for killing the giant, even though he promised it for weeks and weeks and weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my old brother is also the Yeti. Uh, the giant dying, I've got in little quotation marks on my notes, was right up there, and I didn't know which way I was going to go. But before we started recording, I crossed the 1-8, and I'm, I'm going to go with the Yeti as well, just because it's so symbolic of the state of the stuff we were watching in 1995. I I think this is going to be quite easy to predict now with regards to our overall ratings for the show. But Danny, as always, we go hit, miss or middling. What are you thinking? Big miss. Absolutely big miss. How about you, sir? 100% absolutely huge. Roberto Baggio over the crossbar in the 94 World Cup final. Big, sodding miss. (laughs) Definitely. If I never have to watch this pay-per-view again, I will be over the moon. I would happily actually pay WWE an extra pound a month for this to be taken off my network subscription. Yeah, I would be in agreement with that as well. (laughs) It's that bad, mate. It's that bad. But there we go. That's part and parcel of what Danny and I are doing here with the Nitro Knights project, looking back at... WCW from the first Nitro all the way through to the last taking in every show every mainstream show I guess they do with regards to Clash of Champions events pay-per-views such as this one Monday Nitros and of course the Thunder shows when they begin it's going to be a very up and down exciting and disappointing and rocky road but I'm bloody loving it Danny before we go out of here mate before we disappear and hopefully never ever ever have to think about this again Do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you? And also make sure you heavily plug the One Man's Meat podcast. I listened to the latest episode today on my way to and from work about the short-lived career of the potentially the slightly underrated Sean O'Hare. It was a fascinating listen as always from you and Chris. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. So make sure you let us know where we can listen to that and everything else where people can find you, my friend. Oh, thank
1: you very much for the kind words. Too kind. uh, So, (laughs) um, yeah, you can hear me on One Man's Meat, uh, podcast with the great Chris Bellis at One Man's Meat, um, where we discuss, we discuss all the, um, rare wrestling underrated characters and things like that. You can hear me on a changing attitude with the great Mags, Ori and Tanner. And you can hear me um, on uh, here where I'll be next week, uh, hopefully, if this Halloween havoc hasn't uh, soured my taste. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, um, yeah, that's, and you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo, where I masquerade as a Scotsman and I have done since 2010. So, um, and where can we it. find you?
0: <laughs> where can we find you, sir? yes thank you very much my friend thank you make sure you do go and chuck danny a follow out scottish juggler on twitter keep up of all the shows he's involved in there Uh, one man's meat is fantastic i also listened to the horror show program you're now doing as well with chris well your first episode covering the movie hellraiser Uh, i've got a confession to make i've never seen hellraiser wow i I (laughs) thought i had because there's so many horror films from the 80s you know the Halloween, you know, Halloween was 70s granted and Friday the first scene was originally and so on but there's so many horror films from that era that I've watched I just and you know the pinhead character and so on the front cover I just always assumed I'd seen it because there's so many symbolic sort of scenes and posters and images from that film but listening to you two talk about the movie made me realize I've never seen this film So I'm definitely going to go and check it out. And I loved the way that you and Chris spoke about this movie. It's obviously a passion project for the pair of you, something that you both really enjoy. It's always great hearing people talk about stuff they love. So, yeah, make sure you do go and follow Danny at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter. Keep up with all of his shows there. But you can find me at SJPWords on Twitter and on Facebook. You have a little group there called SJP All the Shows and Info. And by going to either or both of those, you can keep in, I suppose, in contact or in touch or keep up with the shows I'm involved in, which are obviously Nitro Nights here with Danny. You have chain wrestling that I do with Mr. Max live on a Monday night on YouTube and Twitch via Radio Taggers, and a podcast version comes out later in the week. If you are busy on a Monday evening, but why would you be? Surely you want to see our glorious faces. You have the waiting room coming back very soon with our good friend Mr. Benny Mack looking at Quantum Leap one episode at a time. And if Quantum Leap is not enough wibbly wobbly timey wimey sci-fi nonsense for you, then with our good buddy Dan Griffin. I am looking back at old Who, new Who, classic Doctor Who, new starts for Doctor Who, a story from every Doctor, etc., etc., on the Doctor Who pod. But most importantly, you can find this show at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. Chuck us a follow. Let us know what you're enjoying. Let us know what you're not enjoying. Talk to us about Crazy WCW. Tell us what you're looking forward to Danny and I covering what you're not looking forward to us covering. For example, Halloween Havoc 95, I imagine was at the forefront of some people's minds a week or two ago. Hopefully we've made it more entertaining than the pay-per-view deserves for you listening out there. But yeah, there we go. You can find me at SJP Words. You can find Danny at Scottish Juggalo and you can find the show at Nitro underscore Knights. Danny, my friend, thank God that one's out of the way. Let's keep on ploughing through and look forward to the glorious double denim arrival of Mr. Scott Hall.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, and we've got a water going through next month. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very much so, very much so. Uh, Danny, as always, thank you for joining me, bud, and to everybody else, thank you for listening.